Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Sapphire Wire podcast. I'm Lisa Johnston. I'm Kyle Johnston. And we're nearing the home stretch here with less than two weeks to go until the election. And we're going to start off with the U.S. Senate race and specifically with Greg Orman, who had a couple of events or statements this week. The first was his college affordability plan, and the second was what he called his closing argument. Yeah, so that first event was at on Tuesday at KU, and the second one was held on Wednesday at a warehouse in Lenexa. I believe it's uh, maybe one of his businesses where he originally kicked off his campaign. Now, let me start by saying I think it's odd to have a closing argument almost two weeks before the election. It almost implies, okay, I'm done now. I'm not campaigning anymore. Uh, But what I want to spend most of our time talking about is this college affordability plan, because uh, once again, looking through the text of this uh, event and his statement, my head exploded in (laughs) anger because he doubled down once again on this idea of limiting colleges to tuition increases that are only as high as the rate of inflation. So, you know, 1.52%, which if you're going to make sure education is funded properly at the state and federal level, uh, could be a system that works. And Let me just say, I am all for colleges making things affordable for students, and I think that that's a good idea. But he was extraordinarily flippant about the fact that colleges and universities have had cuts. And he's like, yeah, I know there have been cuts, but, you know, they just have all this bloated administration, was essentially the remark he made. (laughs) And as a former university administrator, I didn't appreciate that very much. as you know, listening to me react to it. But the problem is that, you know, Orman needs to stick to his area of expertise. And as far as I know, he does not have any expertise in education. And there's nothing that drives me crazier than people making statements that are not based in fact in an area that they have no expertise in. And this is something that people just say. They always try to demonize administrators and that plays well among people who know nothing about education. So I'm not gonna say that there have never been cases in which universities have had too many administrators. I'm sure that's happened. But in recent years, most universities have had to cut their budgets significantly. And most of the schools that I'm familiar with have tightened their belt and, if anything, have cut back on administrators. So it's it's really frustrating to hear him say that and to have this careless, unconcerned attitude about, yeah, I know that the colleges are getting squeezed and they might not have the resources to do what they need to do, but so what was essentially his attitude. Yeah, and I think his his statement about administrators, um, I, I will say that if you if you read his full plan, which we'll link to on sapphirewire.com, there are good ideas in there, but that comment especially struck a nerve because uh, in the administrator comment specifically because it's like, well, they just have too many administrators and they can cut some of those people and then make up these huge cuts that they're experiencing uh, from the state and, you know, in, in terms of public financing, uh, one, they would probably have to cut all their administrators and some, and then some to make up for the costs that the states have, that the state has cut. And 
and and it's really just it's not based in any in any fact like you said it's a very flip statement it's kind of off the cuff and it really kind of undermined his his argument overall right i mean i'll i'll concede your point that there are parts of the plan about keeping interest rates low on student loans and being very open in the disclosures and those kinds of things i agree with completely but this uh very uninformed just sort of flip perspective about well the problem is they just have too many administrators and they just need to get rid of some Mm -hmm. and then that will solve things it's ridiculous and he's talking out of his backside to put it (laughs) kindly and you know it's really upsetting to me that there is this demonization of administrators both at the college and university level and in k-12 through education because you know people talk all the time about quality in education Mm -hmm. and you know we need to make sure our teachers are great and everything that's going on in the classroom is great and we need to have all the student support well who do you think is ensuring that because let me tell you if you have no administrators then you have no one to hire good teachers to try to screen these people to get the best teachers at your school you have no one to evaluate teachers you have no one to discipline teachers Mm -hmm. or fire teachers when that's needed and you have no one to perform these student support functions so I think people need to think a little bit more critically and more carefully about education. And again, I'm not saying there haven't been instances in which a particular school may have had too many administrators or may have had administrators that weren't as effective as they need to be. Sure, but you see that in every profession, whether it's business, whether it's education, across the board. There are all kinds of people who, some of whom perform fantastic at their job, some are sort of so-so, and some are terrible. And you can't just demonize one little segment of one profession. And the other thing that I said the last time we talked about this that drives me up the wall is the lack of intellectual consistency that Orman shows in making this statement because he would never never in a million years say that he would want to impose similar kinds of pricing restrictions on businesses. Exactly. And it's frustrating. And, you know, for example, you know, Robert zinged him in the debate that they had by saying that he got a $3 million grant from the federal government to start a shrimp farm in Nevada, Mm -hmm. which seemed probably ill-advised, but... Leaving that aside, how would he have responded at that time? Because he was getting, quote, federal money. That's his benchmark. So he's getting federal money. So how would he have responded if they were saying, now, you're getting this federal money, so that means you can only, you know, have certain price increases on your product. I mean, he, would, he wouldn't have liked that. He wouldn't have wanted to accept that. That would have been a government, you know, <laughs> restriction, too much oversight. And pretty much socialism. I think it's the, the Republicans' definition of socialism when they make that claim. And the other thing that I want people to think about and the thing that I would like Orman to think about is that when when you talk about administrators, if you move that concept into the business environment, what you're really talking about are the CEOs, the executive managers of companies. They're the quote unquote administrators within business. Exactly. And so when people start from the business community talking about administrators, I feel like that's a projection. Like mm-hmm. that's what they're seeing perhaps among 
managers, executives in the business community. Exactly. And so I feel like, you know, get your own house in order and have your facts straight (laughs) before you go demonizing one particular segment of people who work in higher education because that's not right. And okay, Orman went to Princeton and granted administrators there probably make a good deal of money, but I can tell him firsthand that university administrators in Kansas are not getting rich. (laughs) I mean, some of them are pretty well paid or make a reasonably Mm -hmm. good salary, but you know, they're not blowing the top off the chart in terms of the salary. like I said, especially here in the state. And I thought it was really interesting that the Kansas Board of Regents, upon looking over his plan, retorted back and said, you know, this isn't practical. Exactly. So, and the other thing that I'll just say as a final comment on this is that, you know, Orman likes to paint himself as, I'm, you know, a fresh perspective. I'm not politics as usual. This statement is so politics as usual. It's not funny because this is what people who don't know anything about education do. They just make a flip remark, demonizing administrators and act like if we just got rid of some administrators, the budget problems would go away and schools would be fantastic. And it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, I think if he did some basic math, he would understand how false that claim is. Well, and see what I don't know and what I'm grappling with is does he really know that at some level, but he's just saying it because he knows this kind of a comment plays well, and that's bad? That's or possible. does he not know, and that's bad too? So, you know, there's there's no way I can look at this and feel positively about <laughs> it. And I have to say, this race, because of, in part, you know, these comments that he's making, uh, this race continues to trouble me more and more because yeah. I don't feel as excited as as I would like to feel about voting for anyone. So yeah, again, like we've talked about in the past, it's become a lesser of two evils race really across the board. Um, The the polls are still really tight. It's anyone's game at this point. And um, the candidates are really starting to hit each other hard. And and it's, it's not making the, the choice any clearer as we get closer to election day. Well, and I think ironically, he's saying these things because he thinks they're going to play well, but there's so many people that either do work as a university administrator or have or have relatives who do that I'm not sure in the cost-benefit analysis if he's really gaining a lot by really digging in and doubling down Mm -hmm. on this position he has. It's extremely frustrating for those of us who have expertise in this area. Yeah. (laughs) so i guess i've been on my soapbox about that (laughs) for long enough so we'll move on now and uh, talk about the two governors debates that uh happened this week one was on monday and one was tuesday the first was uh kwch in wichita televised the debate on monday and Brownback was using his typical strategies of leaning into the schmaltz and the charisma. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then Davis, I thought, was using the strategy that he's used many times before, which was 
you know, I'm not brown back. <laughs> and, and that came across very, very clearly. Yeah. And I started, I kind of checked around on, uh, on Facebook and Twitter uh, after that debate. And I think people are starting to kind of see through that comment. I think even people that uh, support Davis really do want to hear his plans. And, and we're really not hearing that. I think he's, you know, like we've talked about in the past, he is running on that I'm not Brownback, and uh, Brownback's terrible. Look what he's done to the state. He's hurting education. He's uh, driving us into the ditch. And uh, by the time he makes all those statements, there's no time to talk about his plan. Right. And people want someone who's visionary because that's how people get passionate about exactly. a candidate. When you come out strong and say, this is what I know we need to do to get our state back on track. And, you know, and he's not coming across yeah, with that. He's kind of doing it in a middling way. So it's more like, well, we'll look into that or I'll consider that. So it's it's not really putting forth a vision. It's saying that, yeah, maybe. Right. Well, and no state, no specific statements other than, I mean, he's made it very, very clear. You know, he wants to be a big proponent of education. Yeah, I mean, roll, that, roll back the cuts, ro- as he likes to say. Well, not roll back, but restore the yeah, cuts. Okay, that phrase cuts. I have such trouble <laughs> with, yes. Uh, now, Brandback used uh, a little bit of a new technique in this particular debate, which was to blame everything on the Parkinson administration. Yeah. That was that was interesting because anytime cuts to education came up, he would always retort, He's talking about cuts that were made under Governor Parkinson. And Mm -hmm. I understand they had to do those things at the time, but don't blame me for those. (laughs) And Paul Davis even voted for those. So that was a big theme he kept coming back to over and over again, which hadn't been something that he had used before. So so that that was interesting. And, you know, on balance, I think that there weren't, a ton of new positions taken. It was similar themes to what we've seen in the other debates. And I always try to watch these debates with a mindset of, okay, how would I be perceiving this if I were, you know, a fairly non-informed voter Mm -hmm. that I didn't have a grasp on all the information that I have a grasp on? How would I be evaluating this? Because as we've said before, lots of times it seems like a he said, he said. Absolutely. And, you know, then people who don't have the information or haven't researched it, you know, then they have to decide what to think. But I have to say that in this particular debate, I thought that Brownback came off better just because I thought he very successfully executed his charismatic delivery. Mm-hmm. And, and he is one of the best at just doubling down on things that absolutely aren't true. And he'll say it like, (laughs) and I think, you know, he probably, it seems like he even believes the things that he's saying, even though if you research it and find the facts, uh, it doesn't really add up with what he's saying. But I think he's convinced that these things are true and he delivers them uh, with that level of confidence. Like, this is right. (laughs) Then the second debate, the next day, the Kansas Association of Broadcasters uh, hosted that debate. And that one was completely different. It was really odd. Uh, I almost felt like that one, Brownback seemed like he was kind of phoning it in. Yeah, exactly. He seemed really kind of low effort and didn't seem engaged. And I'm not sure exactly what that was about. If he didn't like the audience or he didn't think he had to try or... Or what was going on there. So 
And then ironically, Davis seemed better than I'd seen him in any of the other debates. He had the strongest performance of any of the debates I'd seen him in. Uh, So that was kind of interesting and ironic. And then the new thing that came up in that debate was this Brownback attack about judges and the liberal Supreme Court and Paul Davis's friends. So they're they're really leaning into that this week. Part of that is they've put out a new ad that is on that topic of kind of the the liberal Kansas Supreme Court, um, who's kind of ruled against Brownback and other people in his administration or circle, uh, which they're very unhappy with. And they're trying to tie Davis to um, some of these, what they're calling activist judges. So whether it's um, he's friends with judges who pardoned some killers in Wichita, or this claim, which is in which is false, that a judge hosted a fundraiser for Davis, which is completely false. It was uh, hosted by a spouse of a judge, and uh, you know at their home, but the the actual judge was not involved in the event. Okay, while we're on that topic, okay, she was not there. Mm-hmm. It was not her fundraiser. However. They should have known better, and they should yeah. have known they were going to make hay over that. And yeah. since it is technically her house, too, since she's married <laughs> to the guy yeah. who hosted it, it it does open the door for people to call it into question. Now, yeah, they, they certainly could have considered any number of venues and hosts, and that probably wasn't the smartest choice. Yeah, I think in retrospect, they shouldn't have done that. Now, where they took that, I think, is a place that most logical people would say, you know, they're really stretching it here because they're, you know, talking about Paul Davis likes the liberal judges and one even had a fundraiser at her home, Mm -hmm. which is tech. It's technically true because it occurred at the home, but, you know, it's... it's, stretching the truth. Right. It's skirting the the technicalities there and then getting into this business about the what the Kansas Supreme Court did with the Carr brothers' murder and all that. And so that was something that Brownback brought up again and again during the debate was the governor picks judges, and this is very important, and we need judges who you know, are umpires and just interpreting the law, not rewriting the law. (laughs) And then Davis waited till his closing statement to kind of uh, zing Brown back on this new, newer ad that links, you know, him to the liberal judges and then the discussion of the Carr brothers murder and all that and talking about how sleazy it was. So, you know, this race, uh, really could go either way and it's really all going to come down to turnout. Yeah, and the the other thing about this most recent ad, so, you know, uh over the last couple of weeks and I think in one of the last episodes we talked about how uh Davis and and his campaign were kind of outraged by the the ads that the Republican Governors Association were running about his ties to the the strip club story <laughs> and demanding that they pull the ad and that one was like you were there, you did it kind of accept it and move on right uh in this one it's kind of like the 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 judges ad feels almost like the kind of willie horton ads from Mm -hmm. uh from from the 80s and the republican campaigns that way so it's 
it's really they're they're kind of racist, they're kind of sleazy, and and there's I think people outside of Davis's campaign that are calling these sleazy and, and underhanded, and I think they're people are really kind of disgusted by this line of attack and and, and seem to see see through it for the most part, or, or at least based on what I'm seeing. I think people have gotten angrier for sure yeah. about this one than they did about the strip yeah. club thing because I mean. They were framing the whole strip club situation in a way they wanted to frame it. But the reality was he was there. It did happen. And this one, you know, people are like, wow, you know, you are trying to connect some Mm -hmm. dots that aren't truly connected here. So, uh, yeah, there, there seems to be quite a bit more outrage over this ad. But it doesn't surprise me a bit because... You know, negative ads, unfortunately, work yeah. with a lot of people. Exactly. Uh, especially the people who aren't as informed as they need to be. Some people get all of their information about who they're going to vote for from political commercials, <laughs> which is not what you should be doing, yeah. by the way. And I think in the next couple of weeks, they're going to be getting a lot more of their information from these commercials. So um, I think probably 80% of the commercials on breaks right now in Kansas are political commercials. And I expect that's going to get close to 100% in the coming weeks. So in in past years when we've had races that aren't quite as competitive, we, you know, we haven't been uh, burdened with all yeah. of these ads. Not but, quite as bombarded. Yes, but with a very close governor's race and a very close Senate race, uh, there there's all kinds of money pouring in on, on all sides to uh, bombard us with all kinds of ads. Right, because it's not only the candidates themselves, but it's all these third-party groups yeah. that are getting involved, whether it's the Republican Governors Association. Or dark or, money groups. Exactly. Or, yeah. I mean, there are tons of them now that are running ads, and you can like look at the paid-for statements at the end to see, you know, where is this coming mm-hmm. from? <laughs> well, and, and in some cases, like the dark money ads, it's it could be some innocuous name. But, right, it's some know. nebulous group. It's yeah. like the the voters for American values. And I, <laughs> I made that up, and I apologize if that's an actual group, but that's just an example of the way they name themselves. So, yeah, the governor's race is going to be interesting. That one, who knows, could go either way. It depends on turnout and how uh, effective the negative ads are mm-hmm. with a certain segment of voters. Yeah, and there still could be an October surprise. We're still still kind of waiting. Yeah, maybe. We'll see what happens. Okay, lastly today, we're going to briefly talk about the uh, debate for the Kansas Secretary of State race that... Uh, so that was uh, Wednesday evening yes. uh, here in the Kansas City area? Well, actually, that was in Topeka. Okay, in At the Topeka. PBS uh, station. Right. Yes. Yeah. And actually, uh, interestingly enough, I've felt that the star of the debate was the moderator of the debate, (laughs) Nick Haynes, who uh, he works at KCPT, the public television station here in Kansas City, but he went over to Topeka to moderate, and I thought he did a fantastic job. It was the best job moderating I have seen all election season in Kansas, and I wish he had been asked to moderate the governor's debates, because he did something that I had thought about. if I were ever a moderator, that I would do, which is to take a basic question but frame it differently for each mm-hmm. of the candidates to answer based on what their positions are and what their background was. It was it was really excellent the way he did that. Yeah, and he did a really good job of keeping them to time 
and kind of running things really well from that perspective. And, and the questions, like you say, he was kind of tweaking the questions based on who would be answering, but then also based on the responses, he would ask kind of good questions on the fly too and kind of redirect. So uh, it was, yeah, very skillful, uh, very impressive, and it mm-hmm. made for an interesting debate. Now, in terms of content, um, we really heard a lot about um, Kobox uh, voter suppression or voter registration laws. And um, if you listen to uh, a recent radio debate that they had, it was kind of the same same thing. So just a rehash of that. So. Um, uh, she's really hitting Kobach on that topic and he's firing back. Um, tonight he brought a copy of the law to hand to her, which she said, I've seen that, I've read it. Um, <laughs> and he's naming kind of sections of the law very specifically to, you know, to demonstrate that he's very familiar with it because he wrote it and he reminds her of that. And reminds her that she voted for it yes. all the time. Yes. And so, um, uh, so it was a lot of tit for tat, but I think overall, um, Kobach, I think with his, um, the fact that he is an attorney and presents in court, was very comfortable, um, was uh, responded very quickly to questions that many candidates probably wouldn't have done as well with. And, and, and really, unfortunately, I mean, I do not like him, do not like his politics, but he does present himself very well. And like you were saying earlier, in cases where voters maybe aren't following these races closely and they maybe catch a few minutes of a, de- of a debate like this, Kobach comes off pretty strong. Yes. He has a very uh, polished delivery and comes across as extremely articulate. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas on the other hand, I mean, Jean Schodorf, She's a nice lady. I think her heart is in the right place in a lot of ways, and she clearly makes a point to try to stress that she wants to help voters and doesn't want to see anyone disenfranchised and doesn't want to see older individuals not be able to vote and wants to increase voter participation, and those are all great goals. The reality, however, is that she does not in her delivery come across as nearly as charismatic, as polished, as articulate. Uh, She seemed a little disorganized at times, and so that was a real disadvantage. In in many cases, she's leaving just enough holes in her arguments where Kobach can come in and say, you know, so, you know, you mentioned that uh, she wants to, you know, increase voter turnout, which I think everybody agrees with and and is is good. And um, she's saying she wants to put the burden on the state Mm. to, you know, get, get people approved to vote. And the way the law is written that can't happen. So Kobach immediately comes back and says, well, you, you know, you're going to be breaking the law if you do these things. Right. You're proposing that something, something that would be illegal. Exactly. Yeah. And so, I mean, she, you know, she's, she has the right position and the right sentiment and I completely agree with her, but she's facing that, you know, she's arguing with a guy who wrote the law and it is a law and she cannot change the law. She would have to take that to the state legislator and get a, a vote on it to change it. And so, yeah. Um, and one of the things that I think is a little bit of a weakness for her is she always talks about what Kobach said when he came to present to the Kansas legislature. And she so said, she was in you the legislature at that time. Right. She was serving as a Kansas senator. And yeah. she said, you didn't tell us X, Y, and Z. But by saying that, she reveals that she didn't read the law before yeah. she voted on it. And in my mind, that's like, wah, wah. Yeah, exactly. You know. It's buyer beware. Yeah. So that that's a little bit of a problem. I mean, on the one hand, I, I get her point, and I think it's bad that 
you know, he maybe did not completely explain things in the way that it needed to be explained for people to understand it fully. But as a legislator, as a legislator, you need to be reading the laws and you can't just rely on the testimony and say, oh, I'm sure that completely sums it up and is 100% accurate. And so I'm going to base my vote on that. That's not acceptable. So it's uh, inviting the fox into the hen house, basically. (laughs) Exactly. All right. Well, I think that does it for today. And as usual, I guess we'll be posting the links. Yes. So we have a link to the first debate. We couldn't find the video. Um, uh, And then we'll have links to... The Kansas Association of Broadcaster will have video of that debate, um, video of the SOS debate if it's available, and links to Orman's articles about his events this week. Okay, thanks everyone for listening. Thanks a lot.